Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about writing stories for publication versus the kind of story writing you do for building your games. Today we're talking to Vita Ayala. How's it going, Vita? It's going pretty well, thank you. How is it going with y'all? Going well. Um, aside from being in a you know, hot little recording studio, things are going pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I guess pretty warm. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. guys. Yeah. It's, I think it's kind of the life of like just being a podcaster i think almost every podcast i listen to at some point they mention just their recording studio just being hot and sweaty yeah and you know where is your recording studio uh it is in a friend's apartment it's the guy or the the couple rather who run the network uh, and who started the network we're mm. part of and so it's just a side room that they've set some sound stuff up in and kind of set up for uh, both recording and some broadcasting. Yeah, doing stuff on nice. Twitch. Just in that hot little room. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't have any air conditioning or fans on while we're recording because then all you hear is the fans. Uh, yeah. That is true. So, Vita, where might our listeners know you from? Uh, well, I am a comic book writer. I write, uh, I'm freelance, so I'm not exclusive to any publisher. I've worked with uh, DC, Marvel, uh, Valiant Comics, Dynamite Comics. Right now I'm writing uh, Morbius for Marvel, Livewire for Valiant, or I guess that will have ended when this comes out, and Xena uh, uh, and Bond for Dynamite. Nice. That is really cool. Well, and also recently, weren't you writing uh, a Chandra comic? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I am writing the Magic the Gathering Chandra comic for IDW. Nice. Okay, so let's let's dive into this topic. Um, I think. Oh wait, there was one thing. Uh, sorry. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got to tabletop game. Yeah, sure. Uh, so in terms of tabletop in general, uh, I we've always had games around my house. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was like Monopoly and Operation and stuff like that. Trouble. Uh, I remember going over to my grandmother's house often, and she had. Trouble and Sorry and Trouble was just easier because there was less pieces. So we'd play that a lot. <laughs> um, and then as I got older, uh, I started working at a comic book shop that sold games. And everyone knows that when you work at a comic book shop, all of your money goes back in. And uh, so I started getting to some more complex games like Settlers of Catan, which I played like all the time in college. And card games like Magic the Gathering and just a bunch of stuff. I I'm really into gaming in general. Um, but when I, in terms of kind of role-playing games, uh, when I was a kid, I want to say eight or nine, uh, I was digging around in my mom's closet because she always had cool crap in her closet. I don't know if I can curse, so I'm going to keep it PG. Uh, <laughs> all right. She had a lot of cool shit in her closet. And uh, 
it almost felt like she would hide stuff in there so that we could find it and feel like we found a treasure. And I found <laughs> a secondary source book for an RPG called Talislanta, which I didn't realize was an RPG book at the time. I thought it was just like a book that you could read. And it was just all of the locations and races in this game. And I read that book until it disintegrated. I loved that book. All these, it was just descriptions of races and places. That was it. But I was obsessed. Uh, so yeah, that, that like, when I realized later on that that was like an RPG thing, I was like, oh, I can, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can do this, but with other people. What? <laughs> uh, and so <laughs> I think the first time I played was, it was D&D. And I was over at Erica Henderson's house. She's an artist. She's, she did Squirrel Girl for Marvel and Jughead for Archie and a bunch of other stuff, uh, Assassination. Uh, and it was her birthday party. Oh, yeah. And she got a bunch of people together to play. And, uh, and that was the first time I played. And I was betrayed by the party. And so I, I took my revenge and I, I made it impossible for them to win the game. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> listen, don't, I'm a spiteful goblin. Literally, I was spiteful goblins. So like, don't mess with goblins, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that started my love for it. And uh, since then, I I started collecting like weird off-brand and franchise RPGs. Like I have just stacks of like, I have the Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai RPG and like Tenshi Muyo, the RPG and like stuff like that. So, There's a Tenshi Muyo uh, RPG. <laughs> There is there is a Tenshi Muyo RPG and a Tenshi Universe RPG, and they're different. There's like I, a I bunch. Think, there's a bunch. Yeah, like I think I, I I that just sparked a memory of like going into some used bookstore when I was a kid. I think we were on a road trip or something, and just finding this section of of RPGs. Like there was a whole shelf, and there was a whole bunch of different books. And it's just like, how are there so many for like almost every pro like media property I've ever heard of, like Star Trek and Star Wars, and yeah. like all of these television shows and comics and books. And it's like, I love that stuff. I guess people have a lot of time on their hands, or they just really love it. I guess, but it's like it's one of those things where it's like, especially with with cartoon stuff. I think. Where it's just like, yeah, you always like as a kid, you imagine yourself in that world, and now you could just do it. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you can just like roll Sailor Scouts and like <laughs> play as like Sailor Guardians and stuff. Uh, and you know, for me, and this will get into the topic, I guess. But uh, for a long time, when I was like a teen and in my in my like early twenties, I would actually use them, use some of the more traditional ones, um, like D and D and the Lovecraft ones. Um, and there was a cyberpunk one called Alternity uh, to kind of roll actual characters that I would just use in, in like stories that I was writing. Uh, so that's that's my long <laughs> explanation for how I got into it. Alrighty. So one one thing that I'm curious about, because I think this is something that I think almost every DM who does any world building or runs a campaign and everybody really loved it. I think every DM has this thought at the back of their head of, I should turn this into a story. I should write this down and publish it as a novella or a book or something. How different is it when building a world or doing the prep for actually doing writing for, for comics or for stories versus uh, doing what DMs do to get ready for you know running a session or running a campaign? I think that it's, it's ve very close, um, if not almost the exact same process, at least when I do it. Um, I've mostly DM shorter campaigns um, and one shots, but you know, 
I do do plenty of, of prep work, but I think that like, depending on what kind of game that you're writing, it's going to be analogous to a different kind of like for publication writing. Right. And I think, uh, sorry, I say a lot. <laughs> no worries. I think that, um, for me, I can only speak out of my own experience. Right. But for me, when I'm preparing to write, let's say a creator on book, right. That's, that's something that I wholly make up from the, from the jump. Uh, I go through almost the exact process as what I imagine a DM who is completely writing their own campaign goes through, right? The only thing that I don't have to worry about is like having more than one option for an encounter. <laughs> so I think that actually, in terms of that kind of prep work, DMs have it way harder yeah, um, because I don't have to account for players when I'm writing a story. <laughs> <laughs> DMs have to worry about oh, I put a whole bunch of cool stuff over here in the West and they decided to go South. And there's, they're like, yeah, exactly. we've talked to a bunch of DMs and there's lots of advice online on like how to deal with what happens when the players do that. But if you're sitting down to, to write a story where you're in complete control, it's just, no, the characters, they go West. Yeah, and, and the, the, the surprises in that comes kind of when you are really inhabiting the characters as, as an author, right? And, and just putting them into scenarios, but they will do what they are going to do in them. Um, but unlike players, I can like take a part out if it just doesn't quite work. <laughs> when you're <laughs> when you're creating an adventure whole cloth for players, you have to think. You'll never think of everything. That's impossible. Uh, and you also everything that you didn't think was cool, like you said, like you know, you put all this cool stuff in the west. They're going south. Like that happens every time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a DM, you can't really say halfway through uh, an important battle, like, wait, wait, hold on. We're going to roll this all the way back to start and go again because I want to try something different because your players will riot. Um, whereas when you're writing a story, yes. it's just, no, this isn't working. I'm just going to rework all of this. And I'll say too, like, so I think that there are three base, this again is my kind of experience, that there are three basic categories. And the one we're talking about is like when you make something up all the way, like a creator own category. And in that, I think your players are more like co-writers, right? So it's like if you sat in a room, like you had a writer's room and you were all coming up with something, except that it was on live, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't have a chance to like edit it. Um, and so it, even though as a DM, you've done hours and hours and hours and days and probably weeks of prep work, at the end of the day, when it comes to the adventure, your players are your co-creators in that, which is really awesome, actually. I love I love that about D&D, and I love it when I get to co-write stuff for publication. So I'm always really drawn to that because I feel like as a DM in that scenario, you actually learn more about the world that you have created than if they just did exactly what you expected them to do. You get to fill in things that you didn't know you need to fill in. Um, so yeah. I think it's really cool. I think that's like some of my favorite experiences have been in things like that. Um, but then like there, the other two kind of categories I think are like you doing a pre-written adventure, like a one-shot adventure that you can't, it's not like open world. Like it's a small scenario, right? I feel like in that case, as a DM, you're more of like, you're almost a facilitator <laughs> of the adventure for the players. You're not, you don't get to like play with them in the same way that you kind of do. Um, I mean, you do a little bit, but not as deeply as when you're making something up completely. And then uh, you have this middle ground of like, all right, I'm running a campaign, but 
there are a million options and it gives you a bunch of tables so that you can roll a million more options. And so really they've just given you this skeleton that you can play with. Um, and I think that a lot of weird stuff happens in that kind of scenario. I love that scenario too. Um, <laughs> I use, I, that, that might be my favorite because there's the, the prep work to play ratio is a lot more balanced. <laughs> so could you maybe give us some examples then of like, because you, you've talked about running a one shot. What's the kind of comparative part for writing for publication? Is it like writing like a short mini series for an established product? Like what? Yeah. The like, the more, if you're doing like running like a very tight run shot, one shot rather, uh, I think it's kind of analogous to like writing a fill in for a series that's already happening. So like I, I'm comparing it to comics. I'm not really sure how it would work in prose. It, you can also do this for television, I guess. But uh, it's like I wrote uh, uh, two fill-in issues for Shuri in the in the ten issue run that came out. So I wrote issues six and seven. the The universe was a very established. The characterization was very established. You know, I couldn't go too left field with any of the things that I was doing. So really, I was just kind of doing a fun little adventure that wouldn't break the world. <laughs> or at least that's the hope. I don't think I broke the world. Um, but, you know, it's short, it's sweet. You you don't have to worry about the long, like the consequences of your story in a real like sense because you don't have to right. deal with them. <laughs> you just kind of get in, stir up some trouble and get out. <laughs> Which can be fun. I think, I think, yeah. So one of the things that you, you brought up at the start was adapting on the fly or I think before the show, I don't remember. Uh, my memory's horrible. Um, <laughs> so adapting on the fly is something that DMs have to do all the time. We actually, and we actually did touch on a little bit when I was talking about the West versus South thing, but um, what kind of situations are there when you're writing um, for publication where you have to adapt on the fly the the story that you're working with that happens a lot more often than people think especially when you're talking about larger uh companies so marvel dc um and valiant to a certain extent because you're not just writing your own book you are also keeping in mind the rest of the universe and what's going on so i'll for example i i haven't had to do this yet bless but maybe i will sometime in the future um but you're going along you're writing your book you have a plan and then an event happens in the universe and you have to have a tie-in issue or two tie-in issues. You have to adapt your story that you already had planned to whatever this event is that probably has nothing to do with your corner of the universe, but still keep story, like the momentum going for your original story without making the two, one or two issues that are tie-ins seem useless. That's, that's like, I think a good comparison, which can really just, confuse you <laughs> like but it pushes you i think to really flex those muscles of of creativity i think that you get a lot of really interesting kind of nuggets out of a situation where you feel like your back is pushed against the wall and the same with dming right so like i'm the kind of dm that i'm not going to save my players if they if they're intent on dying but if there's a story thing that i can do to facilitate them having more fun and less risk, even though they don't know about it, I'm going to do it, right? I want them to have the best time possible. Um, and so figuring out a way to keep people engaged and make sure that they're hitting the story points that they're supposed to hit in this adventure while still making sure that things are moving along at a pace that makes sense is, is I think, the comparison there. Yeah, um, yeah it, it can be hard. It, it can be really hard in publication too, where you know 
you built your whole story around something and then they go, actually, you can't use that one thing. And it's like Jenga, you pull out the wrong block and like everything comes tumbling down. It's, it's kind of like we've been, when we talk to other DMs about, you know, reacting to what the players do, it's like the feeling that I'm getting is that the, the DMs that help their players have the most fun are the ones that are able to roll with it. And, you know, the players do something weird or unexpected or they want to take the story in a different direction. Then the DM is able to, to roll with it and keep going and keep the players engaged and having fun. And it sounds like it's the same set of skills for when you're writing for for publication that you're able to keep the story that you had in mind going and roll with this like weird out of the nowhere punch and keep the story fun and engaging for the reader yeah i i think it is very similar i (laughs) i remember i was writing i was asked to write a 10 page wonder woman story for the annual that was to come out like the week that the movie came out and they were like here's a like here's your how many pages uh and here are a couple of bad guys. And I was like, cool, cool. Can I have this bad guy? And they were like, actually, you could have King Shark. And I was like, the dude that's a shark in pants. <laughs> that's what I can have. And they were like, yeah, but we really want you to like dig deep into the like, the, you know, whatever of, of what makes Wonder Woman Wonder Woman. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> a street shark and Wonder Woman. We can do this, man. <laughs> we can do this. Um, but I, you know, I sat there and I was like, okay, well, Here's this monstrous thing, right? Wonder Woman's whole thing is that she can see through kind of, you know, she can see through lies, but she can see through through the things that we, we put, like, are masks. And that isn't just, like, truth versus lies, but it's, it's you know, fear, it's, it's, you know, anger. It's all these things. She can see to the heart of a person. Okay, cool. I can use that because it's so easy to just cast this shark guy as a shark in pants that just eats people. <laughs> Well, which he is, but what if, what if there was something more to him? And so I kind of, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can use Wonder Woman as a character to connect to Shark Guy as a character. <laughs> King Shark, that's his name. I'm sorry. His name is King Gods, Shark. I love comics. <laughs> um, comics are, sometimes I'm writing and I'll write like a sound effect and I'm like, I just got paid to write. I just got paid to write that sound effect. That's wild. <laughs> you know, this... um, but it's the same with the, with the, players right because they'll they'll throw something at you and you're like well (laughs) we we either have to figure out how this fits into the story or i'm gonna have to hard reset this whole game so (laughs) i find it really interesting because a lot of time the examples people give uh and understandably because i think they're the most memorable ones are ones where it's like they completely throw you off whereas i've had some some of my best storytelling dming has been when players have said something innocuous and i'm like wait a minute (laughs) oh you just mentioned the villain and also this other thing that's going on at the same time oh this thing happens uh now you're being chased down the hallway by a floating ghost with a blazing blue knife because dnd is weird too (laughs) (laughs) i love i love rpgs they some of the best moments of creativity that i've ever had has been like messing around and and playing I either playing or talking about playing with other people or just like there's something about the interaction between what should just be almost paint by numbers right you have a bunch of tables you have dice whatever and the people that love them it's just the coolest thing I've had lots of like actual story ideas come out of just generating characters and talking to people about our favorite like characters that we've generated (laughs) yeah I think 
one of the favorite things that I've stumbled upon in the last uh, year or so was it's a website called Who the Fuck is by D- My D&D Character. <laughs> and it's a site that'll give you like a one sentence description of a character. And it's it's I think it's like put out there as an as a thing for like people who are about to start a D&D campaign, but they have no idea what they're going to play. And it'll throw out something like um, a monk Goliath who um, really loves pink flowers or like just like weird mishmashes of <laughs> of races and classes and like weird character quirks. But it's one of those things that when I see it as a DM, like I'll refresh the page and be like that could be a really cool npc i've suddenly got a bunch of ideas and you reload the page again there's another (laughs) cool npc that i've got a bunch of ideas like and i guess one of the things i'm curious about when you're writing in uh like one of the more constrained settings like you're writing something for marvel you're writing something for dc and you haven't have an idea that you're not sure will fit because it's something that i've run into when trying to do stuff for DD is like having an idea like be people and a giant wasp like how is that going to fit into this world even though it's such a cool idea and trying to figure out a way to either just shoehorn it in and ignore all the places where it breaks everything but have you had moments like that when you've been either in D&D or for writing for comics where you have an idea but you just have no idea how to get it to work in the world that you're working in? absolutely uh, in both in both with comics it's actually a little easier because I can go to my editor and be like, hey, does this work? And they will go, absolutely not. Or try it. Fuck it. Let's see. Let's see if it works. You'd be surprised, actually, on the flip, how many editors at these big companies are like, yeah, fuck it. Let's see if that works. If it doesn't, whatever. Like, we'll get rid of it. But push it. Um, with D&D, I can't ask my players because I don't want to spoil it for them. You know what I mean? So I kind of just have to stress about it. It, like alone just angst about it behind the like dm screen like all right okay this might be cool this might not be cool um but my general rule for myself when i'm doing it is you know in terms of D is just try it just see what happens at at the very at, at worst case scenario it was an illusion <laughs> like, <laughs> or you guys were actually dreaming. <laughs> uh, the the idea, like when you're talking about just going to your editor and being able to ask them, it's just like, is that something that role playing games need? Is just somebody who hires himself out as an editor for DMs? <laughs> well, I, it's interesting, Sean, because that is kind of the genesis of this show: <laughs> is us asking each other stuff about DMing because we don't play in each other's games. True. Yeah. I mean. And now we get to talk to more people. I think there should be a support group. Yeah. Like we need a DM support group. <laughs> Cause that like that. I th- DM that's support the, <laughs> Jesse is now making a note. Um, <laughs> but I, like that actually makes a lot of sense because I think it's the thing that I think a lot of DMs run into is they'll have an idea or something. And they're just like, you, you're right. You can't talk to your players about like, so I'm going to introduce this monster at the end of this, this dungeon that you're going through. Do you think that you're going to like it versus like being able to just talk to yeah. another DM and like sort out the issues with like, okay, so B people, how are these going to work? <laughs> You're really leaning on the bee people today. It's great. I am just so excited about introducing because my players finally got to the island where the bee people are, and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna encounter them next session. I'm just is really it excited. Wicker man. Sorry. <laughs> so is that just the wicker man <laughs> making them play on the no, wicker man island? Like the no the like because D already has the i think formians or whatever like the ant people the three cream right yes yes i thought 
or something like that. And I'm just going to basically reskin them as bee people. Oh. What? I lost you guys. What? What's happening? Oh, hello? hello. We're back. I lost you. Yeah. Uh, but you're back. So it's okay. And the recording's still going. So I think everything should be fine. All right, awesome. Everything should be okay. <laughs> I, the last thing I heard was the ant people. And then you cut out. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just ant people. Uh, like there's, I think there's, there's already a race or something. I've seen something in, in somewhere that there's ant people. I'm just going to refine it and reskin it so that there be people. <laughs> I guess the the background. On, I support this. Yeah, the background on this is we had an episode where we talked to a friend of ours who is a oh god, what's the term for a, a, entomologist? A bug scientist. Yeah. Um, and oh, he, dope. we ended up yeah we ended up talking about those Japanese hornets, like the giant hornets that their honeybees will like surround and vibrate to kill them, and that ended oh, up my god. triggering this whole idea. Yeah, and as soon as I heard that, I'm that's like, actually well, awesome. I'm, I need to put this in my game now. And now that they're finally on the island where it's going to happen, I'm just so excited. <laughs> I'm, I can't wait to hear I love that kind of stuff. It. Yes. It's, it's, that like it's that kind of stuff where we're... we're mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just saying, it, it's what? YDMing is fun. You got to make up random weird shit. See yeah. If it works. Yeah. And like just anything can spark it, which is the absolute coolest. You're just talking to a bug guy and then you're like, oh my God, I need to have giant bugs in my game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just it makes me wonder how many other things are out there actually this is a good question for you i guess is because you know we talked to a bug scientist who's probably going to punch us for not knowing how to pronounce his profession but uh you know we talked to this person and we get a really cool idea for a campaign out of it um how often does that happen when you're when you're doing stuff for for comics like do you like do you pull stuff from just like everyday conversations or just you know playing the i can't remember what the name of it is but the game on where you go to wikipedia and see how quickly you can get from like <laughs> carrot to the un i i a lot from random conversations um i have a lot of friends that are also creators of some sort whether it be people that do D or make comics or write books or or you know paint uh, and so I have a lot of really interesting conversations and we are all big nerds. And so we talk about kind of media, but also I have like legitimately, like sometimes I go back and read my source books <laughs> and I find ideas. It's just, even in just like, like I said before, that tells want uh, races and places book is a huge inspiration for me, right? It's not like I'll go, Oh, I'm going to put this specific thing in my book. It's more like, Oh, these people live on boats and so this is what they eat and this is what they wear. Hey, that's kind of interesting. What would that look like if they were in space or like whatever? And it kind of sparks that. Um, But also I'll have like, so I I ran a game for my family. It was my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister-in-law and my wife. And, uh, and it was the first time that a bunch of them had played D and D. And I think the second time my brother had played D and D. And I was like, this will be fun. I use rolled and told. Uh, because they have a bunch of great little one-shot adventures in there. And uh, as they were playing, some of the stuff they were doing was absolutely buck wild because so few of them had any experience, which was great. <laughs> it really was great. My mom was a druid who we were fighting goblins that rode wasps and she ended up knocking one of the goblins off and then adopting the wasp. <laughs> and the wasp was then her like mount and her friend, which was adorable. That's amazing. Um, but I was like, yeah oh man it was really great uh i any dm who hasn't played with like a fresh a completely fresh group 
I really do suggest it. It will be a little bit kind of sticky in the beginning, getting the mechanics down, but people that have not played yet have such a wildly different understanding of things and it can be really, really fun. Um, But that, like, the big encounter got me thinking about how a fight scene in a thing that I was actually writing might work and things that I hadn't even thought about using in terms of the environment uh, in the fight scene. I was like, oh. And it wasn't exactly the same, like the same thing didn't happen, but I was like, oh, right, they can do this or they can go here. Holy crap. Like, yeah, this is great. Um, and so I, I often will draw a kind of inspiration from from that kind of stuff. One one thing that I wanted to go back and touch on was you mentioned uh, really quickly, like getting inspiration for D&D from various sources, from your, your friends and stuff like that. And it's something we've told our listeners before is, you know, when you're trying to uh, put together a campaign or something for a session that like you should go out and like if there's any piece of media that you really like, whether it's like comics or books, TV shows, movies, whatever, like use that as inspiration. And I'm curious when it comes to writing for comics, like when you get really inspired by something, but that something happens to be like you're writing for Marvel and you've got just got super inspired by something that came out recently from DC. Like, how do you deal <laughs> with that? Or do you just have to shelf that for another day? Uh, I think that. It depends on the project, right? So if there is an analogous kind of figure that is in what I'm working on, then I can, inspiration is different from copy pasting, right? It's not the same thing. So I can take that feeling of inspiration and the general idea of like, oh, this sparked this in me and try and port it over. Uh, But sometimes I can't. Um, What I'll often do uh, if, if there's a little thing that I want to incorporate is I, I kind of go for whatever the heart of that thing is. So if it's like a specific character, I'll write a NPC isn't the right word, a secondary or, or supportive character as as if I was writing this other character um, just to get the feeling in there. But because it's a different property, things will change and be wildly different. Um, but that's a little way to kind of sneak it in. Um, and I do that I do that in creator own stuff. I'll model kind of the very bones of how a character will act after an, uh, either like a character that I really love or a person that I really love um, and then kind of let things unfold. And the same goes for D&D. Sometimes my NPCs will just be like, I don't know, the the group of detectives from the 9-9. You know what I mean? Like that's my go-to when it's funny. I'll be like, all right, that one's Jake and that one's Amy and that one's this, that one's that. And they kind of just like, things will change because of the players and because of the scenario. But it's like, what if Jake was this guy? What if Amy was this gal? And like, whatever. Um, that happens all the time. That's Yeah, that's such a good archetype, like group of archetypes to pull from. I'm just thinking of like, you know, if your players are a bunch of mercenaries in a guild and then there's a rival group that is the 9-9. <laughs> yes. I want, yes. I want to run that now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's just fun. You know what I mean? I love looking at... at properties with group dynamics that I think are really interesting because the characters are very different and trying to see if it works in other scenarios. So like the nine, nine is my current favorite because there are so many different personalities, but like, you know, you can play with the Avengers if you want to, or the justice league or whatever. What if they were in this scenario instead? Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting uh, when it came out was the comic 1602, which was like the Avengers, but in, like medieval times or whatever. I guess it was like the oh, Inquisition. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, oh, what an interesting idea. That's kind of like D&D-ish too, where you're just like, huh, 
well, he's a he's a this and he's a ranger and he's a um, but I try and keep things funny when I play D and D unless I mean appropriately funny. Uh, so the nine nine is a good like touchstone. <laughs> I because this is just stuck in my head now, and I don't think I'm going to be able to get to sleep unless I ask this question. Um, <laughs> what character classes do you think everybody in the nine nine is? Oh my god, hold on. <laughs> okay, uh, so I made a party as if they were the nine nine. Uh, and Terry <laughs> Terry was a half ogre bard uh, <laughs> Rosa was a monk was she the monk yes no 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 no. I'm sorry she was she was a warlock Rosa was a warlock uh, what was Charles Charles was something really fucking re- like really weird uh, he might have been a monk but he was on a journey to find like the perfect like dish like he was like the cook for the like monastery and he was like i have to bring back like the perfect dish uh um amy was a cleric clearly uh of of course she could have been a paladin but i feel like i feel like cleric fits a little better um oh shoot yeah somehow clerics just feel a little bit more bureaucratic yeah 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 jake was a fighter but he was not a good fighter Put all of his he had into all like to the he was a, yes exactly that's literally exactly um and gina was a rogue oh yeah <laughs> she was gonna be a rogue or a bard without probably, a doubt right like with yeah she was a she was a rogue but her cover whenever she fucked something up was that she was a traveling drunk minstrel <laughs> uh what about holt i don't know man that big daddy holt is hard <laughs> He's probably he's probably a paladin. Him, I didn't get to. But he's actually yeah, like the lawfulest, goodest paladin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pa- a paladin, but he's from a distant land, and so all of the fucking conventions make no sense <laughs> to him here. And he's just like, what is oh, wrong so with like these a, people? Uh, give him the far traveler background or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, that was that was the crew. <laughs> So what other kind of things that have you you've run into while while playing D&D that have been like you've been able to turn around and go like, oh, this is super handy, like uh, like techniques or stuff for when you're prepping or vice versa, like things that you've found have been really useful in one area that you've been able to turn around and go. This is also really useful over here. Oh, like a crossover. Yeah, that there's a name for it. Uh, (laughs) Crossover skills. Uh, I think probably understanding that you have to give your NPCs kind of their own personality and the way that you give secondary characters their own personality has been really helpful. Um, That they're not just kind of like two dimensional. They have to have desires of their own, even if you never really get to it. Um, But also, uh, so sometimes you're writing things for publication and you go in places that you did not know that you were going to go. And you're kind of like, well, fuck, I'm here now. I have to figure it out. Um, And so you learn how to take whatever the important plot beat was and adapt it to that situation. Um, And that has been really helpful in running campaigns with new players, especially because they will just go off road and you're like, where are you going? (laughs) Like you said, like we have to go West. Well, if they go South, then I can figure out how to change things about the South that either lead them West or just say, fuck it, they're never going to go west. This is now happening in the south. And how do I change, you know, some of the stuff that doesn't quite fit in the south to make it work? 
Um, but I think I got that from, from kind of writing myself into a bunch of corners when I was, you know, writing prose and comics and being like, all right, well, what do I do now? <laughs> like, I'm not going to scrap this whole thing or this, this path that I've taken is actually compelling, but I still need this plot point. How do I get it there? Um, and then you're just doing it live, which is way more stressful. Like I said, I think DMs, it's just so much more stressful than what I do. <laughs> That, that's that's actually um, a good point. Is that when you're when you're writing for for a comic or a book or something, you've got plot points that you've got to get to. I I guess I, actually something I'm curious about before I dive too much deeper into this is when you're writing for a comic, do you often get given like here's a plot point that has to happen when you're writing? Uh, that usually only happens if you're doing an event or uh, if you're co-writing something. Okay. Um, so it's not. Yeah, you don't get it as often if it's like a series that you're writing by yourself or, you know, uh, if it isn't something that kind of has to tie into something larger, Right. which is lucky. Uh, but I do co-write a lot, which is really, really fun. Um, so it is something that I've had to learn how to like, all right, do all the compelling character stuff that you love, but write to this point. This is our end point. <laughs> okay, because... Something that's probably a little bit easier with with comics is, and and writing for publication in general is that you know if you've got a plot point that you need to get to it's it's usually I'm guessing a little bit easier to to steer the story in that direction whereas like do you have any tips for like doing that when you're DMing where you you have a plot point that you you want to get to because you know it's the the thing that'll unlock the rest of the campaign and now the players really know what they're going after but they're just not picking up any of the plot hooks or hints or you trying to forcibly push them in that direction? Like, how do you get the players to that plot point? I, there are two things that have worked for me. Uh, one is to make it sexy to go in that direction. Whatever it is that they like and that they're, like, really jiving with, make that, like, oh, but you have to go over here to do it. Um, and that's just, that's just been lucky in working for me. Um, and the other is I've literally changed like which character is going to give them information if I know that they're not going to get to it in a way that's going to be like, I don't want the players to get too frustrated, right? I want them to enjoy the game. So when I see that things are getting too frustrating or they're just not picking it up and they're not going to get there before they want to give up, then I will shift around how they get the information, whether that means it's not this person, it's that person that says it now, or if there is a physical object that someone finds you know, I will add in an element uh, that gives them the information that they need to go um, wherever they're going. Uh, but that's like, some people like, as a DM, I, you know, I have my own kind of ways of playing. And to me, I always play towards the dynamics of the group and towards the, the story as a whole. Um, I'm not ever, even if it's a pre-written adventure, I'm not really married to anything that's there. Uh, I'm much more interested in creating a fun and engaging and challenging experience. And so I ha I personally, this is not to say that everyone should do this, right? But I personally have no problem with completely changing an element to make sure that the players can advance in the story. And that's that's really good because I think it's something that, that newer DMs who are just getting into the hang of, you know, creating these these storylines and these plots that they 
the you know they spent a bunch of time like a whether it's an hour or an entire week going like writing out okay they're going to do they're going to meet this character and they're going to send them in this direction they're going to find this out and then the players don't do that and they're like oh, but how do I like I think that's where the accusations of railroading comes in is when like newer DMs are like oh, I have to get them back on track I have to get them back to the plot rather than changing the plot to like fit what the characters what the players want how they're doing or doing it somebody. yeah and I think that that's hard <laughs> yeah I mean uh yeah being subtle is important too I think that like you have to remember that the goal is to have fun all together you and your players um yeah. you're not a slave to what they want to do but they also you know are a part of the story the story is not just yours and so what is going to be the best mix to get you where you need to go well this was supposed to take place in the West because there's a desert town there and blah, 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 blah. But they've gone South, which is marshlands. Well, can your story, can the, the, the basic plot of your story happen in marshland instead? Like, unless, you know, probably you might have to change some of the bad guys and make them like swamp witches instead of like, you know, sandworms or whatever. But like, I, I bet you could, I bet it could. Yeah. Um, and you may find that you have more fun in this, in the marshlands because you didn't even know. And I think, spending time stressing about how to get get the story back on track or uh figuring out like how to get them this important piece of information it's a lot easier like on yourself mentally as a dm to just go with what the players want to do and figuring out ways like okay well they didn't go west they're gonna go south yeah i'm just gonna switch up some things it's like it's a lot easier than trying to figure out how to like force them back on track i think most of my mistakes uh in terms of like doing that kind of stuff was thinking that because i had done all this prep work it was my story and they were just playing it yeah um but really the story hadn't even begun until they started playing and so the story is what was happening there uh, and learn kind of figuring that out and making that shift mentally really freed up like it, it took a lot of stress off my shoulders i still prepare as much as before but the prep work is just that it's prep work it's not the actual game yeah i think that's a really important way to look at it because you know you're running the game for your players you're a player too you should be having fun but you're also going to have more fun if you're not like fighting your players tooth and nail to get them along the exact plot line you had imagined and if you have a really good exactly. story that has to go a certain way it's to write it <laughs> yeah yeah or, you know what? I mean, sometimes you do have to club them over the head, right? But like that can be write a, you know, figure out a little sub adventure that gets them there. If you really need them to go west, suddenly they're abducted by sky pirates, right? And they have a whole encounter in the sky. And then when they're done with it, they're in the world. Yeah, because like if it's something like, you know, they need to go to this castle because the next bit of the story is then a siege happens, then you can figure right. out ways to like, yeah, just kidnap kidnap them. Or the king has sent some royal messengers along with some very, very powerful guards who are going to very politely ask you to come with them. <laughs> or a wizard did it. My personal favorite. <laughs> a wizard did it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're walking along the road heading south and then suddenly you're in the throne room um, <laughs> just dallas it up just you wake up and you're like oh here i am none of that was real <laughs> all right vita uh thank you thank you so much for joining us today we have um we have a kind of a traditional ending question that we ask everybody um if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice about just dming in general i think what what advice would you give yourself i think it would be the advice of the the game and the story don't belong to you it's 
it belongs to the whole group, you included, but you are not the end all be all. It is all about everyone working together. Yeah, I think that's one of the most solid pieces of advice you can you can get when a new and actual experienced DMs I've I've <laughs> yeah. met. Okay. Uh <laughs> Thanks again so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at definitely Vita. Um, I, my Twitter, sometimes I run blockchain just for my own protection. So if you find yourself blocked, it's probably not personal, but my, my Instagram is open and yeah, I'm on Twitter way too much. So I'll definitely <laughs> see you there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and do you have anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, uh, Morbius number one is coming out in November. So I guess when this goes up. Uh, yeah. So yeah, please check out Morbius or uh, some of my creator own work, which, uh, you know, doesn't have the same PR machine that my work for higher stuff does. So I wrote a book called Submerged uh, that came out through Vault Comics. And I wrote a book called The Wilds that came out through a company uh, called Black Mass Studios. I would love for you all to check that out. Uh, yeah. That's my stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Bye. 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 Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Moros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay, Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST. I was told that once, the earth was shaped like a dish. This was a time before mortals or the law. That time has long since passed and no one tells those stories anymore. All they care to tell these days, over and over again, are the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.